Okay, Oz, we're back. I didn't give you any warning. I'm here. Ready to go. Okay. <laughs> Immediate drink of water. Nice. 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 We were commenting on each other's respective backgrounds. I gave I gave Oz some flack for his complete uh, abdication of a background bookshelf or any of these other you know Zoom background memes that you have to do these days. It's just it's Oz. It's like you've given up. I want it's to respectful uh, minimalism. I wanted to just make it a green screen so that uh, you all could put whatever meme stuff you wanted in the background. Yeah. No, the, the I I just have a very boring wall behind me, so it makes sense. Yeah, mine is mine is just my hobby. Um, I've been I I literally found the first one of these things on a run, and it was like. I was with my wife and I was like, can I, can we stop? We had been in the run for like 20 seconds. And I was like, I have to carry this home. And she's like, okay, here's the deal. We'll finish the run. If it's still there, you're allowed to ask the people who live at this house if they're legitimately throwing it out. And it was the, I ran the fastest run I've ever done in my life and came back and they said, yeah. And the guy came out and he's like, and it still works. Then I brought it home and then plugged it in. And uh, Carly, my wife was just like, that's cool, but why does it smell like burnt popcorn? And something inside just immediately exploded, which is <laughs> a, a, an obsession to sort of find these and fix these things. Did, did you fix it? Well, uh, in that case, it was the power supply. It was the power supply for an Apple IIe and mm -hmm. did some did some forums belunking. And those things are, they were made to take apart. If you know, like the Apple II versus the Mac whole thing. The Mac is this closed system. The Apple II has the expansion slots. You can just easily pop the thing off, no screws. And then the power supply just kind of, you lift it out. And I bought another one online. Some dude makes them like brand new power supplies for Apple IIs in 2022 or whatever this was. Plugged it in and I was ready to go. And I felt like, oh man, I really, I can fix old computers as if I had done something <laughs> truly remarkable. Uh, but yeah, it's great. It's back up and running and I can do, uh, I can write an infinite loop in basic. That's as far as I've gotten so far. As, as many have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we, we, uh, wanted to catch up with you given that you were our inaugural escaping webby and, uh, yeah, what's, what's going on Oz, have you and Felix chatted at all in the last three years? Is this really the, the first rekindling? I don't think I don't think we've caught up properly. Just a few emails. Wow. Okay. So Felix what's going now on? runs the company that he joined when we spoke to him. No, not quite. But Felix, what are you up to? <laughs> I mean, running the company. No, uh, considerably less glamorous. Um, I made my way to senior staff software engineer um, on the quantum control team, uh, which which Oz told me. I, essentially Oz's responses. I don't know what that is, which fair, <laughs> but, um, yeah, basically, uh, doing like a embedded or what some people would call real time control for the quantum control system, the thing that helps us run our experiments and algorithms on the quantum computer, which I was, I was really proud to tell Oz. That, that sounds like some. That sounds like some pretty serious JavaScript. Are you guys like onto TypeScript now? <laughs> What's the, uh, what so, framework yeah, uh, do you use for that, Felix? Well, it's funny because like, I don't know if you know this, but like actually the original control system was written entirely in JavaScript. Um, but now 
my part of the code base is written in Rust. So we did go from JavaScript to Rust. Um, and actually, although it was JavaScript, the original author of um, that whole control system hated third-party code. So he rolled everything himself, like including the web server, um, which has, I think, aged poorly in retrospect. <laughs> actually would really have liked to have had a framework instead of bespoke JavaScript code powering a million dollar machine that shoots lasers um, that can like- Is that, st is that piece still up and running? Is that web server still up and running? Are you allowed to say- Oh yeah, it's, it's still going. Yeah, it's, it's uh, <laughs> to my chagrin. Um, I, would really, I think we would all like to move on at this point. So there's an earnest effort to make a second system, um, which you know is like, when I first read the second system phenomenon, I do not think it could have more aptly captured what's going on here. But when you have code that is so like that is aging so poorly, you feel like an immense pressure to get it right on the second time because you're starting all over again. You're like, mm. we cannot, we cannot have the situation. Um, and that really captures the mindset of what's going on and kind of the paralysis around the design. Um <laughs> but is that is that a paradox? Is the second system immediately become the first system for the new people coming in? Is there is there a way out of that? I think like ostensibly the way out of it is to gather all your requirements and create something perfect because you've perfect. given like an immense buffer of design. And of course you're gonna get it right the first time, but you know, uh it's like two years later and we still haven't deployed a production version of this. So yeah <laughs> your mileage what stops you from what stops you from chipping away at the problem like why can't you incrementally replace like is it such an important interface that it's impossible to change it a piece at a time or is That's a good it like question. psychologically something that stops the incremental approach the incremental approach i think you can in some sense and that is being attempted um like, for instance, a quantum computer is kind of a consortium of different embedded devices that need to be coordinated by some master controller. And you can, like, split up that functionality and reach across from one host to another. So that's an idea. I think the fundamental problem is really one of state. Um, in particular, like, our old control system was an organically growing system, and the state is not aggregated centrally um kind of like when you would need new state you would create like a new file um that you'd save json to and that was your state and so every redux. just use redux right yeah <laughs> well again like, state, we laugh we all we all have yeah we all think think our things about redux and i certainly thought those things I could really, I think we could really have used some Redux. <laughs> it would have, it would have helped um, rather than having like a, a fractal um, fragment of various state collection in various places. But it is, it's keeping them all together. This JavaScript server has its million different data stores, um, and it fundamentally has a central representation of what the state of the quantum computer is at a point. And it's it's hard to have 
another service take some of that responsibility when it cannot uh, get a consistent picture of the state at any given time, which the node server magically does because it's people have done the incremental work needed to get it necessary. That's kind of what I view as the as the fundamental problem for like why you cannot like progressively move over. Um, but it's honestly, it's complicated and bizarre enough to be studied empirically, the software. So I, this is my theory. Um, and who can say? All this is to say is it can get much worse than Redux, um, as I'm sure anyone who's familiar with the term backbone JS knows. Can you, uh, well, you now just doing uh, like an explain it like I'm five for the like bare minimum of what you're talking about? Like, what is this web server? Is this how people are running experiments? Is this how people are accessing the control server systems that you're writing to run their experiments? Who's interacting with this system? I'm not really at, like, you don't have to do a full, you know, interview uh, architecture diagram, but give me the, explain it like I'm five for what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, totally. Um, I wrote one of these explainers back in the day for my company, so I'll try to resurrect that um i think effectively like a, when a physicist runs an experiment they have a bunch of devices that are needed to be able to like point lasers into a vacuum chamber um onto an electromagnetic trap like a trap is a device that can produce an electromagnetic field um that can suspend ions in it and ions are important because there's kind of like these ions are chosen to have one uh, valence electron. Um, and so that valence electron state can be changed. As we as we know, the, the level structure of an electron changes when it's exposed to like outside electromagnetic fields. Like that's what we see pretty much every day. Anytime you look at something that is fluorescing light coming from uh, the interaction between electrons and electromagnetic light and so we use this outermost uh, electron as the the energy level the qubit and we shoot lasers at it to influence its its orbital around the electron because it's going to either absorb if it's resonant with that electromagnetic field whatever you know it's lasers on ions um and in order to do that you need to have mirrors that steer the laser you need to have control systems that keep the frequency of the laser locked at a certain level you have like 200 or so embedded devices um so you have one server that needs to all coordinate them to do this one goal which is to to shoot lasers at the right time and at the right place it's just a bad um, can i inter interject for something because uh, this is making me think that it's almost like old school computing where you've got the mainframe uh, and is it the case that folks have to, is there one machine that people are sort of waiting in line to run their experiments on? And then, <laughs> yeah. uh, is that what it, it's kind of like that? But, and you can't do time. Yeah, yeah. It's not like it can split cycles between. No, 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 experiments. no. Okay. Because quantum computing, while being very powerful in theory, does tend to take a lot of physical time to do, especially because you have to keep the system calibrated. So if I need to like test or debug something on the system, I, I kind of wait in line for it to be ready to use when the physicists are done. But it is very much <laughs> that wait in line, uh, old school, yeah. mainframey vibe. And, you know, these computers are as large as a small room. So the size element is also mainframey as well.
Um, Felix, we've uh, we've already documented your transition from other non-quantum computing. Do we even talk about that? Well, web development. Should we ultimately say web development to quantum computing? That's amazing. Uh, just I think other people are going to have to just listen to the other. We can't recount it because we're not going to do it justice. Uh, but I would like to continue the story from there and ask, how is it that you went from basically sneaking your way in? Is that an unfair representation? Like definitely getting a job in a way that is not the conventional entry points to quantum computing. How did you go from there to, did they actually give you a staff as part of your senior staff engineering promotion? <laughs> like, do you have a thing that you can bang on the ground and tell people the lesser <laughs> engineers what to do? Uh, there's, I do have a giant randomly. It was, it's, it's unrelated to my promotion in some sense, but in <laughs> indirectly it is, it does come from the promotion. So there's that, uh, so is this journey from web development or like now being like more in like a, a team leader or technical leader situation? Yeah, but what do you think, Charlie? Do you want, yeah, do you want to do a I think that's, I think one quick sentence on like how you got there. I, from what I remember is you were doing some um, self-study and you made a uh, open source project that you were able to present on in a some sort of conference or talk. And that maybe was your potential segue into theoretically, uh, you know, I'm assuming here like a mid-level or even entry-level position in this quantum computing company. And I think we really want to know like, well, one, let's recap that very quickly, but then what happened once you joined in and what was that journey like? How did that go? I wish I wish the narrative was as neat as like I did a bunch of study and finally did this this talk and then that impressed my company so much that they um, invited me and that would be like really linear. I think it's that's it's what I remember. That I, yeah, that I did the talk. Yeah. Wow, that's a good one. It's more like I got I got burnt out doing one job. Um, I took some time off to like figure out what I actually like doing um, and then just to do that and not worry about what I was going to do next. But just invest time in what I like doing. And that was um, essentially studying theoretical computer science. And I think like the most interesting part of it to me at one point was was quantum computing. And I got really into that and eventually learned that there was a, an industry propping up around it. And once I'd gotten in a mode where I was feeling like rejuvenated by my my work I'd take I'd done during the sabbatical, uh, I reached out to like every single company in the space and of them iron key was my favorite so i eventually went there i moved all the way across the country and i've been there four years now so all's well that ends well great so now now you don't have to go back and watch escaping web episode one but i think oz your yeah. main question here is okay you moved across the country how the hell did you get to where you are now and what was that process like well, I should say you should still watch Escaping Web episode one That's if you true. want riveting commentary on the movie Grave of the Fireflies. Oh, uh, oh I, th I was going to open with this. I just watched it this weekend. In uh, I, It's been on my to-do list for three years. And holy shit, I wish I, I mean, I'm glad I watched it, but I'm also not glad I watched it. I was it's it's, it's really sad. Yeah, it's it's incredibly sad. Oz, did you have you watched it yet? No, it's still on that to-do list. Oh. Yeah, I mean, I have a, I have an almost two year old now, and it's just like like there's a little girl. Yeah, I'm just I can't. Oh. It was, and I was 
yeah, I was home alone. It was Saturday night. This was like the worst possible decision watching this movie alone. Um, yeah, it was, it, but it's really good. And now I think I should watch the rest of the um, Studio Ghibli films. I think I'm going to go on a little quest after this. Well, that's that's inspiring. Okay, so now you now you really don't have to watch Escaping Web episode one. <laughs> we also did Grave of the Fireflies. Yeah. What was the question? Um, Oz, I... Oz, yeah, can you rephrase this in a way that makes sense? What what were the the key things that enabled you to keep progressing from where you started INQ to where you are now? Yeah, so I had to think this is this is amazing because like it's so validating to have to like please explain to us your success. Like this is like my um my daydream conversations really center around this. So I'm basically already prepared. Uh what 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 allowed me to keep progressing? I think I think essentially I really enjoy the process of not knowing what's going on and kind of just obsessively chasing that down, which is huge because I had no idea what was going on. Uh, I was really not prepared to come in on the ground floor and like immediately pick things up. But like, I have no background in hardware. I would want to do something and then someone would be like, oh, just test it on the scope. And I'd be like, what's a scope? Um, which to these people is insane. The idea that someone that they're paying money for would not know what a scope was. And now I've, I've been using them for four years and I can see how ridiculous the situation was. Um, but yeah, I, I love it. I was like, I don't know what's going on. I'm just going to spend a bunch of time and energy. Um, and that never stopped for basically four years. Um, it's just being like really hungry and really energized by the process of learning new things all the time and having a lot of ideas. And that means that as the company grew, I think I'd, I'd worked on like basically every part of the code base. So I have this really rare resource, which is context for kind of this massive sprawling, organically growing entity. And I've just have a memory castle of where it all lives geographically. Um, because anytime something was broken, uh, I would go in and fix it for people. Um, if someone's like complaining about a thing on Slack, I'll do it like a volunteer to do just about anything that pops up and accumulated a lot of knowledge that way, which have this gift of context. So that, that seems to me is the most helpful thing because when you have this context, a lot of people like rely on you to, uh, help them get up to speed or to do a thing. And you have ideas because you understand what all the code is doing and where the problems are, things like that. Um, so that's that was kind of the the primary differentiator, I think, um, was being willing to give a lot of time and energy because I got time and energy back from being ignorant and having to ramp up in a lot of areas. Um, which brings me back, I think, like the second component of it all is is getting that energy back, right? Like investing a lot of time and effort into a thing, but fundamentally being really excited about the mission and the nature of my work which is less about quantum computing as an industry or the potential of quantum computing specifically, but being face-to-face -face with physicists mm -hmm. and helping physicists specifically with, with their problems, which were either like 
could be very esoteric but could be much less esoteric i think uh, one of my one of my favorite examples of this phenomenon is there's an xkcd comic where there's two panels and the first one says something like what software engineers think scientists need help with and it's the scientist approaching a software engineer and be like please help us marshal your finest machine learning algorithms to analyze our data or something like that and the second panel is the scientist going up to software engineers and saying we're locked out of our lab because there's a wasp's nest in there <laughs> and you get a software to take to analyze um to put printed out graphs into excel and that is that is a lot of the kind of work i was doing early on um but i love it i love being face to face with people helping them with a tangible problem to get like a concrete objective forward and moving up a number on the computer and seeing these people with really stressful um high powered jobs and being able to like tangibly make their lives better even if a small thing was was really energizing to me so the face to face nature of it and kind of the ill-defined ground and being left to my own devices to be proactive and helpful was really engaging. And I, you know, I love fundamentally the mission of it all, the the theoretical computer science of it all. So I can tie it back to something I like would enjoy doing in a vacuum. And if I were to ever retire, I would just spend a bunch of time reading papers on. So fundamentally alignment, which I think is a a word Oz used while congratulating me, but I think that was the other helpful ingredient is just naturally being in tune with the mission and the way the work was and having a restorative relationship with my work energy-wise. What I wonder about that though is like, doesn't that describe everybody at the company? Like why, why is it that you get extra energized by that and reinvest that energy? Whereas, I mean, I'm sure all of your colleagues are great, but like, again, to enter in from a point where you didn't have a PhD, you didn't have the background, the kind of trajectory that you had to to maintain was quite different to, to others. Why is it that it was a journey that you could make? Not everyone gets to the level that you that you did. Like, doesn't everyone have passion for the, the field? Like, doesn't everyone get energized by the interactions? Like, there's got to be some more Felix magic there. Tell me your secrets, Felix. I do think, I do think it is like somehow more for me. Like, it's not really about innate ability, but I think some like the biggest differentiators are kind of just like the volume of the code base, the design of it, and the time spent testing okay the context of when i say the code base is i brought up a new code base which is our new control system the new quantum control system um was in rust and i you know created like a new linux distro for it all tested a bunch of hardware um created like a fundamentally new way to schedule and run quantum experiments and algorithms in rust and all these things um and i think as far as I've seen, like I have spent more time and energy on it, especially by way of testing. Um, but not not all my peers, but like the peers that do have this relationship with their work have also like risen in the ranks. But certainly um for me, the face-to-face -face nature of the work being more energizing means I, I put in more in a in a wide variety of areas, design, testing, um, and then just volume of code. Um, so I do think 
I do think that still stands out to me as a differentiating factor, even if I'm in my company where people can be at a quantum computing company, but do you um, are more passionate about, oh, sorry. No, you go. Um, what was I saying? Uh, where people can be at a quantum computing company, but be more passionate about front end design or like control theory, like their own little corner of the world. Whereas I'm kind of, I'm kind of eclectically passionate about the the comprehensive state of of engineering at the company, just because I like the company specifically. I like the people there. I like the work. And I like quantum computing in general, and that's made me multifaceted and useful across many teams, uh, which is the the differentiator for Steph. How uh, how generalizable do you think your experience was? Like, I, I have a lot of people, a lot of students in particular, but just generally people who are in web development or something that they don't necessarily enjoy that much. And um, they want to break out of it and do something else. And, um, you know, obviously, I think about your experience and a number of other students who have done something dramatically different and uh, try and give some advice that's like, draws from those lessons but also fits uh what this person asking uh with the position that they're in how generalizable do you think your experience is and like how much of what you have done and experience do you think you can provide as advice for somebody else or maybe more clearly like what is the advice that you would give to somebody else um is it like the advice that you would have given yourself in that situation it's interesting. I think like a lot of my thoughts have have changed on it. Um, how generalizable do I think my advice is? Uh, I think first, uh, first off is that I got extremely lucky. Uh, I joined like a very small company that needed kind of a generalist engineer. Um, and I was ostensibly hired to be like full stack software engineer and actually like more oriented in my typical, uh, or I guess like the latter half of my experience more in typical web development um and then once i joined it seemed like there was much more engineering to do on the control system side of things and i was volunteering a lot of my time and proactively investing a lot of energy in that uh, can i can i so drill in company. on that uh felix because i one thing i wanted to ask about is sometimes there's this notion of a staff project that is like representative of your caliber and could like engineering excellence and etc that can sort of vault you from the senior software engineer kind of career level engineering into staff but what i'm i'm projecting or guessing here i feel like you were um you didn't have a problem sort of like being curious and hunting these projects out and especially at a smaller company there's more projects to be had than there are people so it feels like you were able to find somewhere that you found interesting and then sort of it sort of naturally evolved versus it being this sort of like formalized process or some sort of contention. That's what I'm kind of picking up. I just feel like you sort of explored your curiosity and you were you found a company where that was allowed and encouraged. Yeah, yeah, totally. So that was that was very lucky. Uh, it's yeah. lucky that it was a small company. It's lucky that I had this mindset. It's lucky that they were open to my background because my hiring manager was himself from a different background. Like quantum computing is so nascent that no one really had any experience in it whatsoever. So you can't really like hire a seasoned quantum computing software engineer. But uh, so they were really open to my my profile in the first place. And being at a small company, you have the opportunity to 
to pivot and to try many different things and to show initiative in a completely new area just because there's so much work to be done um so those are those are the major factors and i think that that that's generalizable i think that stands the test of time i think it's true that if you find a small company that's doing something you're interested in uh then it can it can you can pivot a lot in terms of the technical work you do uh which i know has not been the route for other people on escaping web it seems like a lot of people join fairly mature companies um on a bit of pivot and work and i can't really speak to their experience but mine was that mine was that small company feeling and i say I, I had a moment of hesitancy when I described doing something that interests them because I'm not sure I would define that as the metric for why I find this career more satisfying than my previous jobs. Um, like I think the elements that have really stood out to me are less about the fact that it's esoteric in a few domains, right? It's it's embedded, it's in Rust, it's in quantum computing. Less about that and more of like the nature of my work and when it comes to the people around me or like the technical product I ultimately produce like it's much more abstract and uh less less viscerally evocative than like oh I'm quantum computing or who are these Felix are they are they <laughs> people who work for you that are trying to solve like general physics problems or are they physicists who are trying to are you sort of we're selling pickaxes to their like external customer physicists who are these folks I think they would find it very funny if I described it as them working for me. It's <laughs> very much the opposite. So yeah. this is this is something that's completely new for me, actually. But over in Silicon Valley on the West Coast, like software engineers rule the day. And we don't even realize it. But like software engineers have this enormous lease of power and decision making in a typical tech company. And that is not at all the case at a quantum computing company where we are very much dependent on uh atomic molecular and optical physicists who are like this extremely rare source of labor um who are extremely valuable to the company's success they they run the show like i am i am a ball boy for them basically uh so those that's answers your that if that answers your question they're like the god got it kings and queens and deities of INQ, and i'm i'm effectively a ball Perfect. boy it was like <laughs> I am going to make sure that your balls are picked up the fastest. I am going to spit on your shoes um, with a fidelity that will astound you is like is what I have to offer them. And no part of you is thinking, oh man, now I now I really need to become a physicist and I'm gonna restart my career again and go this whole route and come back here in 10 years and then I'll be running the show. There's no because sometimes it's like, oh, I want to do software engineering. Let me do this boot camp or whatever. And then for a while, data science, that was really. That was really cool. Maybe I should go jump into that. Um, has that has that hit you? I doubt it, but has that hit you? I think like I think two ways of it is the first being that if I had to be in software, this relationship with my work at a small company, face to face with scientists, helping them on a scientific projects, is how I would want to spend my days if I was still doing software. The second thing is I've realized that what gives me joy at rest and even when i'm asked to work on it for work um which can sometimes change our relationship to our hobbies is I'm, i really enjoy computer science at more of like a math and theory level um that is like a recurring passion of mine and something that gives me a lot of energy so i'd say if 
if life had gone as planned and I was not, this, this is <clears throat> a deep cut for all you escaping web heads out there, but um, <laughs> I was, uh, I'm a double dropout. Um, but if life had gone as planned, I would, would have loved to try my hand at, at theoretical computer science is, is something I discovered. So not physics, physics necessarily, but if I do somehow retire from my, from my tech fortune, uh, which does not exist, but hopefully will if I get lucky um then that's that would be my alternative career path so hopefully i've addressed your question i'm i'm talking way too much i feel like i'm just going to to note that um <laughs> oz have you had any other students who've gone into quantum computing no well this okay. felix cool so felix you're, you're carrying the staff i gotta keep saying it like that you're carrying the staff for everybody at least in quantum <laughs> computing. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I recommend it as a career path for anyone listening this year or the last. Um, surprised, surprised there were not more. Although, I, well, I'll do my best, I suppose. Maybe I've I've been setting a bad example, or my my escaping web episode was disappointing, or too focused on Japanese animation. Not enough, not enough. I, I had a question uh, in the, obviously in the interim, we've had COVID and everything and work from home. How does that work for you? If your job is manipulating mirrors, were you able to use this like web server to like remotely do this? Or you, you obviously can't have the quantum computer come to your apartment. Was that, was that terrible or was it completely fine working remotely in that context? Uh, it does, it does end up working. We actually have a lot of remote software engineers um, okay. because you can use the control system that you, to work the devices. Um, there's a lot of ways someone can be a remote hardware engineer. In fact, many of like our FPGA engineers are remote. Like you can have a web mounted scope. Like the technology is there to do a hardware job completely remotely. I'm different in that I actually like being in the office and um, it's much faster to just walk up to a device and power cycle it manually than it is to like log into a remote ethernet power switch and like switch it off on your computer and also just the visceral feeling of pressing a button trumps any kind of web oh, interface it's, it's so, so good yeah yeah <laughs> i need i need it i need to be in the office which i realize i'm this makes me a bit of a class trader to a lot of software engineers who are sounding the remote work horn but for me, I need to, to push an actual button and I need to hear the beeps and clicks. Um, so that's that's why I'm still still here in Washington, D.C. in the lab. Um, but to be fair, a lot of our workforce does work remotely, which I should mention is a possibility as I'm now on the hunt to recruit former Bradfield attendees or whoever may be listening. Well, you feel like you were chatting too much. What questions do you have for Oz or even me? Because um, I'm, I'm using this as an opportunity since you all haven't caught up in a while. You should feel free that you can fire away here too. I I need to know your all your stories. I need to know like what has happened in Charlie Harrington's life. I'm not sure if this has already been covered in the podcast though, so I don't want to bore. No, we, no in I saw, fact, I most on... of... People are like, who's this person talking with Oz? And I have yet to introduce myself, which I was trying to kind of keep a mystery, but yeah. <laughs> well, it says you're an engineer. No, this is good. Let's do a Charlie intro here too. 
Yeah, that's the Charlie intro here too, and it'll just be buried. Yeah, no, yeah, no one makes it this far. We looked at the YouTube stats, so this is this is fine. Um, <laughs> I yeah, I think last time we had chatted, I had just left a very small startup where it was like fresh out of YC, and I was getting it on the ground floor, and it just kind of stayed on the ground floor. So I was doing a big job hunt. I was spending a lot of time at Bradfield, just trying to like have that energy rub off me. I think at the time, Oz, you were building that little PDP seven little uh thing on a raspberry pi you remember that little kit that you made and it just blinked and stuff yeah yeah still got it and again it's like oh man i just want to be in a place where people are making little blinking light computers this is just going to help me study my algorithms um for interview prep but then i i got a job at cruise which is the self-driving car company in san francisco and i wouldn't say i was like intrinsically interested in cars i'm definitely not a car person However, going into the office, when you walk in immediately to the right, there's all these cars up on uh, on jacks and people are working on them and doing all this sensor stuff. And it ju just feels badass. If I try to swipe my card and like go into that area, like I'm denied as if I don't work there. So it's like completely off limits to me. But I like thinking that I have some connection to these people that are actually manipulating physical things in the real world. Um, but yeah, so I've been there four years. And rather than go the staff software engineering route, I got I got sucked into engineering management, where if I put it pessimistically, it's like, let's take everything you don't like about being a software engineer and just expanding your calendar with meetings and all this stuff. So that's like, um, and they don't really, they don't give you that leading in. Now I can definitely spin another angle, which is like, it's been, it's really fun. I don't know if any of my People are listening. I love it. It's great. Uh, and I have a team of six people now. Uh, and I am learning quite a bit, but I'm also hungering for, like, I miss the coding. And I think one thing that happened to me is as I was sort of in that, like, career level senior software engineering thing, I felt like the things I was working on had plateaued in terms of day to day, I'm plucking off projects and it started to feel kind of repetitive. It's like, okay, we need to set up another pub sub topic that'll fling over to this third party system from this other thing. And then I'll read it here. And maybe I can do some cleverness with making that thing um, like efficient or scalable or whatever for reading these topics. But it was a lot of plumbing piping work for tons of different microservices. And it felt like, you know, the things that I enjoy doing uh, from a coding perspective, my mind was like, oh, I'm going to, I'll just do this in my free time. And then I should expand this, uh, the other element of being a, a leader in technology. And I've sort of been there ever since. I think um, I, it's, it's obviously very challenging to allocate time outside of work to do this stuff. And I, that was a question I was going to have for you, which was, uh, given that you're so motivated by what you're learning and you have all this curiosity, do you sort of like close the books at the end of the day? And then I'm done with computer science and I'm going to learn how to play banjo or something. Uh, and we can come back to me, but I'm, I want to throw it back to you for that, because I feel like if I countered our two experiences, Felix has this job of infinite curiosity and infinite playing field. Um, and I, I'm and like, pr probably that's an exaggeration, but maybe not. When you, when you close the laptop at six, are you coding? Are you rowing? What are you doing? Uh, it's, it's sometimes coding. Um, lately I've been reading a lot of anthropology. Um, cause 
it's kind of this this niche academic interest I picked up. But I will, you know, brush up on my art. Like we've got we've got Linux kernel development hanging around there, which is actually surprisingly germane to my work. And I think very exciting to hear about because I know I know I would have thought that was cool originally in my work, but I'm reading it because it is it's actually hellish. Uh <laughs> In order to have it be less hellish, I need to to understand how it all works. Um, so just trying to stay on top of that. But it is truly, truly the worst part of my job is interacting in a meaningful way with the Linux kernel. Uh, yeah. So we're getting better at that. But it's not that's less about passion and more about managing my uh, thinning hairline. Um, but I, yeah. I, <laughs> I guess it is infinite curiosity, but steered towards a more non-technical field in some sense. Although I do, I did also start doing FPGA development on my own and looking at procedural generation algorithms. Um, so there's yeah. there's some coding as well. Okay, the curiosity continues. Did you, did you consider the management route at all? And one of the, like, they kind of build this to me as this is a two-way door. You can go back and forth between these things. And I've definitely seen some people do that, but was that at all something you considered? It, it hasn't ever been because I don't think my strong suit, I, insofar as I've seen the engineering manager job, I did not think that my strong suit was in it. In fact, I think like a lot of my weaknesses would have been in management. Um, however, as time went on at INQ, we did not have a manager for my team. And so I did some manager things. And when we did get a manager, it was kind of hard to let go because I felt like, no, this is this is part of my job. This I have to do this. I have to like get groups of people together to figure out what we're going to do and have conversations about ill-defined problems. And I think although that's stressful and it is not what I'm best at, I did find very engrossing um, and involving a lot of skill. And I do see it as the more valuable and necessary skill set of a larger company. So I, have, I have a lot more respect and a deeper understanding for what engineering management is as a result of that. However, now we do have a manager and I'm much more um, firmly in IC now that that's all shaken out. But it did. That was my brief experience with it. I came away with a realization that it's not not what I'm naturally talented at um, for a variety of reasons, but also, uh, as I said, a much, much deeper respect for it so yeah I, it's hard it's hard in an ex oh sorry uh, i was just gonna say it's hard in an exhausting kind of way because there's this exhaustion associated with um dealing with people and then not to say that as an ic you're not also dealing with people too but it's just it's much more heavily tilted towards people and that it gets heavy i have been trying to do a little bit more coding i looked at my github at the company and it was like i hadn't seen a green dot in a while so I did this thing last week where uh, we're working on this sort of like pipeline management system, et cetera. And yeah. I said, I was like, why don't I figure out a way to render this with some visualization thing? Found GraphBiz. And then I thought I was like, this, you can spin up a Jupyter notebook and view it. And everyone's like, that's too painful. Why are you doing this coding thing, Charlie? We have people problems that you need to be dealing with. I said, no, I'm going to keep working on this. And this is like, this has been my night project, but I found out a way to render it in the terminal. And now people are like, okay, that's cool. So I think, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> these, these little just, micro just wins. Trust me. 
That's awesome. Um, Can I pose a little thought experiment to, to both of you, actually? Kind of mostly to Charlie, but I'm curious of Felix's view as well. Okay. Let's, let's imagine that Charlie has just started a cruise and um, we're trying to give him the kind of advice that would take him to the like the level of one of the most engaged valuable ICs specifically at cruise so kind of like the the Felix Trippier uh, success uh, function at cruise as you saw it at the time what would that have looked like like what's the advice you give them what are the technical problems they work on or just like more generally like you said you you ended up in a place, you found yourself in a place where you were connecting pipes together, right? Mm. Pub sub endpoints and whatever. Yeah, yeah. And you lost satisfaction. You found more satisfaction in engineering management. But how, like, were there people at Cruise who had the the Felix experience? There like, are. There abs you... Absolutely. And when Felix was talking, it, it it reminded me of there was someone who was a very young person, fresh out of school, who sort of rose up the ranks. And they think they were like a, a staff software engineer, if not senior staff, when they were like 26 or even 25 or something like that. And I was there for about a month when the person who was my onboarding buddy was leaving to go to Google. And they said, you should talk or at least meet this person because I think they're leaving to start their own company. And this person, very much like Felix, was just this font of context. And they had been there from the early days at Cruise and had they wrote this sort of like farewell document as if they're George Washington giving advice. Um, and all this advice was extremely prescient. And I actually think back to this doc, I was meaning to look it up this week because a lot of these problems, they've persisted to this day. And I, in my mind, I've, I, if I were to go back, I probably should have found this document, sort of made it my personal charter to understand what it meant and then found other people who could like give me that additional context and use that to navigate this. I think Cruise was Cruise while being a startup is a much larger company. Um you know there's like thousands of thousands of software engineers. So I think may, we may not have had the same sort of collaborate immediately collaborative environment of a smaller I don't know if there were like 100 or less folks at IonQ but like 30 um, 30 okay very different. So that sort of navigation space was challenging and also I think this was the largest software company I went into and the, the org chart was very wide at my level, which made it very hard to figure out where things go. And I think I probably adhered to it a little. I sort of paid it too much respect in terms of how I was like figuring out this context versus uh, I think the folks who can sort of like go around it or find the connections within it, that could have given me uh, the ability to like pick up and tackle these things. And I am trying to instill this um, with the folks who are on my team, but I, I want to hear Felix's advice because I feel like I could be giving better advice to people. Advice to succeed at careers? Well, no. I feel, in, I feel like, immediately unqualified. <laughs> if you're, if, ah, uh, reframing the question, it's like, how, how could I have found what you found at IonQ um, as a, like, entry-level whatever mid-level I see coming in. Oh man, that's tough. Cause I do think it makes a world of difference joining when the company is a thousand people. Um, yeah, I, I, 
I think I, I, I can guess, but I feel like yeah. that, that would be a bad faith because I can I can only imagine. Like I can say that I have to imagine you'd have to like spend a lot of time learning things and then try to understand what is impactful to the business. Um, but that's that's becoming so abstract. Like I'm talking about impact yeah. into the business. Um, this, so I feel like not becoming super useful advice. So I, fortunately, I think I'm going to have to fail publicly and say that, um, yeah, it so feels, if, it's a little out of my breath. If you feel unqualified to talk about a 1,000 person company, is the implication also that uh, like this is entirely irrelevant to Google? Like now, what are they, like 30, 40,000 engineers, like in the order of tens of thousands of engineers? Is it just like impossible to have this kind of thing at a large company? have this experience i don't know because that that seems very scary and daunting to deal with and it's it just feels nice when you're this tight-knit group of people we had one of the best experiences i had was this hack day i've always loved a hack day uh guilty i mean uh, it's like even if it's just to watch nerdy movies or whatever and get together we had a hack day a couple months ago and it sort of stripped away the bounds of quarterly planning and all this other nonsense. And you just had this sort of like emergent collaborations type stuff. And I realized that's impossible when you have this many people to organize and things like that. But um, I don't know. I just want to, I want to bring that joy of there's too many problems and we are unrestrained in how we can sort of bounce these things off each other. And if I can, if you can make that happen in a Google, then that's amazing. If you can make it happen in Cruise, if you can make it happen there, then I think you're going to be happy and have this joy going into your workplace every day. That's what I want. I just want to, I want that joy. Give me that joy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's important. And yeah. I just, I see that at, at larger companies, it gets harder because I feel like, like what I experience is that I'm on, I'm experiencing a gradient, like some sort of derivative. I'm seeing my company grow larger and other qualities are changing. So I'm only imagining that as, continues to grow larger the change i'm seeing is has grown larger i guess I've, I've linearized this gradient but what i've seen change is that it becomes much more valuable to be able to get consensus across large groups of people on a technical decision um which I've, again i've hinted is not my strong suit i think i took an engineering leadership class back in the day and as an exercise, they said, okay, um, they give us a problem. It's basically two people on a mountain. They start at the same time. They each have different speeds. Um, do they ever at some point meet on these paths going downwards? Um, and I, I figured it out. I was like, okay, if you were to superimpose the graphs, there has to be an X crossing. And so I gave this like long mathematical description of why they had to cross. And then... Once I'd given my explanation, our teacher asked the rest of the software engineers if they were convinced. And I was like, I would give them like a mathematical proof. Like, of course, they're going to be. But no one was. <laughs> I, had not, I had not convinced anyone. And I was not able to. I just continued restating my mathematical proof. Um, and when I observed people who were successful at this task, they reached out to these people and like asked them, like, why aren't you understanding? Like, And they chose different analogies and used like visual analogies and things like that that instinct had not occurred to me i just thought of an answer to the problem 
I was not able to make ground and convincing people. And I was also frustrated because yeah. I was like, I'm just telling you that it is correct because it is objectively correct. And that's not a skill that I've had or that I've been able to accumulate successfully. And I see other engineers now taking the mantle and using the skill to say like, to argue for a change to our code base, which I kind of just go in and do um, because I know where it all lives. But that's, that's an ability that's going to decay as the code base changes and as I'm alienated from it, as it grows larger. So I can see how my skill set might not transfer to a larger company. And I can see that as the company's growing, it's more of like evangelizing your solution, talking to small groups, skills like that are much more, in my view, what I would have considered managerial. And that's why I feel like I'm unqualified to speak on success at Cruise because I have to imagine that more of this skill set is what is actually impactful because you need fundamentally, you need a larger group of people to do the work that will generate business leverage. We've been, uh, I lead this book club and it's me as the only manager in a bunch of ICs throughout my entire org. And we did Will Larson's staff engineer book. We just, we're almost done with this one, which is Tanya Riley, the staff engineer's path. And it's, this is sort of a guidebook effectively for you've just become a staff software engineer. How has your life changed? What are your new responsibilities? And, um, that one thing that is like clear, it's not just, oh, I'm, I'm ever more technical and I'm more in the weeds. Now there is an archetype for that. There is this the problem solver archetype, put you in a cave, come out six months or six years later, solve this tough problem. Maybe that's your archetype. I'm curious what your archetype might be. Then there's the sort of right-hand person of the executive, but then there's this sort of like systems architect, but a lot across all of these, you have to have this soft influence and it's, you sort of evolve above the day-to-day -day coding largely from what I've seen from this. And it's, it does feel you're not directly managing people, but you, as a staff software engineer, you have this soft, if not strong influence across the org that it, like there there's weight to that. And I, like in your world at this smaller company, is there a marked change from senior to staff? Did you sort of feel that your responsibilities shifted or changed in a way that you weren't expecting? Uh, yeah. And I think there was a lot of pushback on stuff I would have considered myself to excelling at or where I would have offered value, where there was a lot of pushback on me going in and doing a thing, which I viewed to be good practice. That's how I learned everything. That's like where I got to where I am is just anytime anything pops up, just figuring it out and solving it. Um, there was a lot of feedback around letting other people do that and then coming in a with small hints and then otherwise letting it rest so that the organization could amass more context. That was kind of an immediate pivot is me understanding, internalizing that and working more on this kind of mentorship angle. But actually a lot of the bulk of my work is now more on setting like an engineering direction for large projects, um, like making architectural documents, getting consensus around decisions, making new architectural documents, things like that. Um, like figuring out a plan, figuring out what it's going to shake out, figuring out um, larger ideas of what would improve our code base or our ability to you know, hit larger company goals. And that has in fact involved less code historically. And is, has your calendar become unmanageable? Have you, have you lost your sort of headphones on time? And how do you protect that? I 
do not go to a meeting unless I know it will produce a tangible outcome that I need to do my work um, in order to keep doing the kind of role I'm doing right now. However, I do think it is not increasingly necessary for others in my company to attend all these meetings so that they can be aware of what's going on and go and provide input and pick up work um, when meetings become more of a, a loose, unstructured conversation. My own meetings have an extremely aggressive agenda and objective, and so they're very they're very efficient and they get to a single point, and that's how I operate in meetings. So I don't I don't engage in that spectrum of of meetings as it were but i also don't have a pejorative opinion about it um yeah. it's like simply like how i've kept my calendar clear um but i have seen i have seen that be necessary and work well for others but i've also seen their role change for mine what uh, what um, is your answer <laughs> to the archetype thing would you ideally be person in a cave problem solver archetype or are you do you feel like you're happy in this sort of cross org architect uh i think the architecture mostly extends to our control systems so like mainly our team and i'm mostly serving in a cross-team role and like a less a less hierarchical capacity where my input is needed but i'm i'm not really setting direction as much as i'm like as as much as i'm a peer and i need a lot of cross-team support for my own projects which is when i'll reach out and pull others so i guess it does seem to hint more at the the person in a cave and i think if i'm being honest that would be my preference because i think that's the most satisfying moments i've had and the best relationship i've had in my work is then i can kind of work in isolation but let's be honest between the three of us who most looks like they're in a cave right now uh oz i don't audio listeners are being robbed this man is in in the void basically <laughs> oz are who's reviewing your prs for cs primer are you uh this is you, yeah i have it's just the buttons too i'm i'm raising my hand <laughs> It's so just I'm like bot, trying to trying to keep this. Yeah, it's the bot. I've just trained a large language model on my own code review, and uh, so it's my. It's just like my inner voice is manifest as uh, nitpicky little reviews on my code. Missing trailing semicolon rejected, <laughs> and then you just like go for a walk and then fix it later. Yeah, that would <laughs> it would be funny if that is where. LLMs end up as just the most annoying automated code review. Like that's the product, that's the killer app or whatever, and nothing else. It, we're not all paper clips. Life isn't that much better. All it is is just nitpicks. Not that we're a topical news show, but Oz, are you going to sign the uh, please don't develop LLMs for the next six months pledge? Oh, what would my signature matter on that? I mean, it just seems like a ridiculous, it just seems like a ridiculous thing, but I don't know. I yeah. Don't know. I, well, I feel like that where's the equivalent one for quantum research? Like once, once y'all break, um, encryption and whatnot, uh, then I think things, things are going to be a mess then too. I just feel like, like, I will say coming into my work, I feel like I, my work tangibly matters and I'm improving something 
insofar as quantum whenever quantum computing enters the news i'm appalled i find it incredibly exaggerated to like a an egregious extent or near criminal extent like we have like 25 solidly working qubits like they're okay um and they're not even the quality you need to run uh, i guess like they're they're not error corrected they're they're good enough to run an algorithm on and you would need millions to run something like shore's algorithm and it's not i don't know i don't know about these claims about moore's law scaling like i've seen a fairly linear growth in the amount of qubits um so it's it seems to me that anything you hear in the news is not to be trusted is, is my take on that mm. but i do all that being said i do come in and i feel like i'm tangibly improving science and i think my company is doing solid work improving the state of trapped ion quantum computers uh but i i can only imagine that people open ai have a similar relationship with the publicity their work generates where it's like this is this is getting out of hand um but that's that's my thought on that. But people aren't falling in love with quantum computers or qubits. And I think people are falling in love with AI. Um, so, uh, I mean, maybe they can. Maybe we connect the two and then that can be some cause for consternation. I think I think people are being infatuated with okay. large language models like they. <laughs> One uh, can only I... tr truly fall in love with a quantum AI. You in, heard a, it in, a, in a minor segue before I do want Oz I feel like we need to put Oz on the spot to sort of give I, his three-year thing I want to recommend a book to both of you uh that I think is tangentially related to physics actually it definitely is but it's called when we cease to understand the world and it's a non-fiction novel it's like very small and I'll read the little description here it's a book about the complicated links between scientific and mathematical discovery madness and destruction so I think you should read it. It's sick. And we can, when we chat again in three years, this can be our uh, Grave of the Fireflies catch up. So this is, this will be your little, uh, your homework. Uh, my partner recommended that book to me. So I probably will read okay. it at some point. We'll, yeah. Read it soon. Okay. Oz, you're on the spot. What is your, uh, what's your update for Felix? I, I, I sort of know your update because we've been chatting for two weeks now, but yeah, what's, what's going on? three-year update for Felix yeah yeah what are the highlights I also on I was camera a... on camera yeah on YouTube oh, we man. can also pivot to my questions which are more more about the the same questions that was offered but I want the Oz take um no I we got to pivot to your questions firstly because I'm getting a lot of drop packets I'm actually running MTR as we speak and just like getting incensed at my ISP and I mean it turns out that even if you give them facts like data about percentage packet loss and latency at particular locations they still won't do much about it but anyway oh can I'm I like ask watching, a, watching uh, can I ask a question about this I I think last week after our chat, I called my ISP and I said, what's going on here? And they said, oh, there's something wrong. We're going to send a signal to you and that's going to fix it. And, I'm, and I was asking, what is this signal? And they, they wouldn't tell me. It's just like, oh, it's just an, a technical term for something. And then the signal came, my modem restarted, and then it worked. So what happened? I don't know. 
Okay. Your modem restarted? Yeah. You mean your router? No, so I have a modem and then a router. So like the modem is the thing that takes the coax in from them. And theoretically that's where they're- Oh, you're on- Yeah. That's where their world stops. What, how, what's your, what type of connection do you have to your ISP? I have no idea. Uh, I it's it's like a coaxial cable coming in. It's uh, like gigabit speed from Xfinity. It's not like it's not fiber. Okay. Do they do they call, yeah? Do they call it um, cable internet? Like, does it run Doxis as it's? Linked I don't know. These Docsis are good questions for me to look into. I was just I was like, oh, Oz would know what this signal is. Okay. I, I don't. I guess it's like a control sequence that. Uh, okay. They can reset the no, no, no. Okay. I'm, I'm glad they got it working then. You just have to turn it off and on again. That's that's pretty much it. Okay, yeah, Felix, what are your what are your Oz questions here? I want to know Oz's archetype, like where back before you were a wizened instructor of, of learned minds, uh, what was your your role as a as a CTO? Were you more of the the cave or cross team or I forget the other archetypes, but what was your, what was your class essentially in the D and D sense? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't like, I didn't find a fit for myself, um, in the way that you have Felix. Like I didn't, I've never gotten into a multi-year groove as a software engineer or an engineering manager in the way that in the way that you have like the longest longest stretch would have been two years maybe as a as a startup cto um so like compared to eight years of teaching uh you know i think i think it's clear what my archetype is now um but yeah at the time like i think is there an archetype that's like uh engineering manager with fomo Maybe that's Charlie's archetype. That's oh, that's me for sure. I think that's what I was as CTO. I was like, um, the soft influence stuff totally makes sense. Uh, easy, easy for me. I had that without the rest of the staff engineer qualities, I guess. Um, I could dive deeper into something if I could afford the time, and people would keep telling me to not do that and come out of the cave and let someone else do it. And I, I kind of hated that. <laughs> uh, I kind of wanted to do it myself. It's like, why do you get to have the fun while I, uh, you know, read through this security review or whatever? Um, so yeah, that's what I that's what I did most consistently, I guess. Um, but I don't know. I guess like because I never developed the kind of specialty, I never got to live the thing that. I most appreciate in others, uh, most enjoy seeing in others of like pulling a thread that other people aren't willing to pull and uh, focusing. Like maybe I've just romanticized this uh, too much, but like when I when I see security researchers who are like, I have this belief that I can jailbreak the Nintendo Switch and I'm going to read the NVIDIA manual on this chip that's 10,000 pages long and just start at page one and like find a vulnerability and they come out of their cave three months later, having done this thing that no one else has done before. Like that's amazing. That, that, that to me is the most exciting thing. And there's nothing exciting about 
like so and so builds consensus in the organization and gets something done. Like I, it's just it's not a, it's that not also a fun takes, story. That also takes three months. It also takes three months. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it also it takes, takes three months. Yeah. And like, what what has the most impact? I don't know. Like, it depends on the context, I guess. But the thing, the thing that excites me when I see it in other people is the cave, the cave approach, uh, is the like indie researcher approach. Um, it's not so much the like you pulled everything together from different organizations and shipped the thing. Um, even though that may be the higher impact thing. So I don't know that like the truth of where I ended up was I just did what I could in the circumstances. And the best that I did before teaching was CTO of startup. Um, but in terms of like where I wish if I could have rebooted my career and started again from scratch, it, it would have been working towards like finding a context where I could do deep focus work um that other people weren't doing like that other people were not interested in um I was gonna say I feel like we all love the cave it's easy to love the cave because you're there's no distractions you it's this pure intellectual environment of curiosity and it's a myth I think it's a myth and as we've talked about this many times I think Felix we'd probably yeah we definitely talked about flow and it's about how do you find your cave day to day how can you get in that flow cave uh, and if you can do that, that's great, uh, because I don't know that many of us have the privilege of or the like, you know, not privilege or even just guts to actually go do the cave thing. If you have the guts to do it, amazing. I don't I don't have the guts to I'm in a fully illuminated room here. I'm not I'm not in a cave, even though I call this place the Nan Cave. It's not scary. I try to make it fun and inviting to be in. So uh, I don't know. I don't know if I can do the cave thing. Maybe you can work your way up to it, like Diogenes or whatever. You you don't go straight into the cave. You like take a week, a week break in a cave. It's like Carmack's programming retreat. Yeah, a right. I want to do a writer's retreat. Felix, that's my other project. I'm trying to become a writer of some kind. I did a whole fiction writing. Oh, project. I, yeah. I saw that. I was very impressed. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, I actually, Oz, we were having this conversation two weeks ago where I was. I feel I'm kind of stalled on my main novel. And then Oz was trying to reframe it for me very much like a therapy session or whatever. And I, a couple of days ago, I had an idea that I'm going to write a biography, which is completely different from what I'm doing, but uh, I don't want to give away too many details, but I'm going to do a little, I'm going to see if I actually do the pre-work for this. This person is still alive. So I don't know what the rules are associated with this. There is no existing biography of this person. I have some potential loose connection to them. I have no idea how to write a biography. I Googled what are questions that you ask when you interview people for biography? It's very clearly, <laughs> very clearly written for a fourth or fifth grader. So uh, I don't know if this is just my my new shiny object, but uh, yeah. So anyway, you're not going to tell us who it is. Not no, even a hint. No, no, because I don't know. They could be watching. I want to. I want to make the right approach. Someone in computer history, or no, but someone who is from the Silicon Valley area, from Palo Alto. But okay, it's, and it's but not in computing, not in computers. Oh, okay, yeah, we can leave this. Uh, as well, a, then I'm just not interested. Sorry. <laughs> well, yeah, there won't be. A, who knows? There may not, may not be a market. But they started their company in a Palo Alto garage, and it's not Apple. So that that's kind of that's maybe one of the spins. I don't know if you probably have to come up with spins for your books. Uh, but yeah, so maybe I'll find my cave 
writing a biography if I can figure out what questions you're supposed to ask. I'd be very worried I'd they'd say yes and I show up and <laughs> I ask questions like we asked you today, Felix, and the people are like, you're just utterly not prepared to be an interviewer. Uh, I, I'm very <laughs> upset I trusted you with telling my life story. But uh, yeah, you, you, Felix told me it's good to not know what you're doing. So that's why I'm here, sir. Please well, well, hold on. <laughs> I don't want that to be the central takeaway. Um, <laughs> please, please know what you're doing, professionals of the world. The, okay. The, the safety and well-being of society depends on it. Do not, do not go into the cold night of that message. All I'm saying is, like, I, I was really stoked at it. That's all. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Speaking of oh. cold nights, Felix, I feel like we should. Uh, it's late on the East Coast. I feel like we should allow you to return to the cave uh i will indeed i will go back and and fight the the cave monsters i'm this metaphor is it's, it's me. no again <laughs> no one no one makes it this far all the all the gold was in the first 10 minutes so it's fine good good well you know invisible viewers i hope you're not too disappointed and oz be prepared to receive that three-year catch-up email which i will i will structure so as not to be as daunting and sorry for your packet loss that said i'm i'm caving out and, all right uh, thanks for having me thanks for thanks, coming Felix. talk to y'all later See you good night bye